Heavenly Father, we thank you for the preciousness of your holy word. Lord, we thank you for all that you've been teaching us as we go through Corinthians. Lord, we thank you for the word you've given Rod this morning. And we pray that the anointing of your spirit will come upon him as he brings that word. And Lord, we ask that by your spirit we will receive, we will hear, and let your spirit make us new. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yes, indeed. Uh, bit of a bit of a, an amazing thing. I know Paul joked about those of us who were alive in 1972. Um, can you believe we were leading a church in 1972? Oh man! I think two things. Two things have happened to me in, in the last three days, of which this was one of them. Um, on Friday evening, we were at the Enough Prayer Meeting. By gum, you, you missed a really good prayer session. You really did. It was, it was excellent. And accessible for everybody. It was really good. But at, at the, towards the end... Um, we were we were going to about uh, praying about the um, the need for signs and wonders, and uh, we were asked just to wait. We we were stood in groups and just asked to wait. And uh, I have to say to you that the Holy Spirit just—I know these things are subjective—but He just touched me in a way that I haven't experienced for a good number of years. Um, Andrew and Anna nearly had me falling right on top of them, but <laughs> that was it, was, it was fantastic. And what I got from that is that God hasn't changed, we have. He can still do it. And then Paul does that this morning with the Father, we adore you. That was the way that we introduced our folks into singing in the Spirit. Because singing around, and we used to sing one or two rounds like that, just began to mirror what happens in heaven. Many tongues and tribes and languages all worshipping God together. And Paul, where are you? You put a longing back in me for something deeper in worship. Thank you. We're on marriage. We're on marriage this morning. My goodness, here we go. Come on. Come on. Hello. <laughs> Is the dongle in? <laughs> no, it isn't. <laughs> Can you see the straw with my name on it? It's the short one. <laughs> seriously, seriously, this is another challenging passage, but uh, I, I just feel a great, pa- a great blessing for having had to study it at some depth. So here we go. 1 Corinthians 7, 1 to 16. Paul says, Now, for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. But since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. 
The husband should fulfil his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except perhaps by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. I wish that all of you were as I am. But each of you has his own gift from God. One has this gift and another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am, as I do. But if they cannot control themselves, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And a husband must not divorce his wife. To the rest, I say this, I, not the Lord, If any brother has a wife who is not a believer and she's willing to live with him, he must not divorce her. And if a woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to live with her, she must not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife has been sanctified through her believing husband. Otherwise your children would be unclean. But as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. How do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Wow. Well, as usual, I've had to make all sorts of decisions about interpreting and and how we're going on with it. And, and you may think, oh, what a passage. And fancy us doing this passage on a Sunday morning. Why are we doing it on a Sunday morning? Because it's part of 1 Corinthians. It is. And it is the Word of God. Do you know, we get to controversial or difficult passages like this, and sometimes we forget that we're actually dealing here with the Word of God, because Scripture's own testimony of itself is that all Scripture is given by God, breathed breathed out by God. And we can all learn from it. Whether we're single, married, or through whatever circumstance, single again. We can all learn through it. And actually, this passage has wider implications for church and society. So that's why we're doing it. It's part of our series, which we're picking up again today. So, we've got a little bit of technical stuff. Bear with me. You know, you have to do this. The first is this. Who says what in verse 1? Paul says, about the matters that you wrote to me about. Now, older translations and older commentaries say, it is good for a man, this is the authorised version, King James Version, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. And they print it and the translators have translated it in that way as if Paul is saying that. 
So that's the first thing that Paul says. And the result is that many, many people have then concluded that Paul thinks marriage is inferior. Now, to singleness. Now, how you can do that when you've got passages such as Ephesians 5, I don't know. But that has been the way. And older translations put it like that. But newer translations and commentaries have put inverted commas around it. So instead of being Paul's comment, it's what the Corinthians said to Paul. It is better for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. What do you think about that, Paul? And you see, that affects your interpretation no end. And the, the new, the later NIV versions, which some of us have got, the ESV, English Standard Version, the new RSV, they translate it that way. And that is now the common consensus as to how you approach this verse. So it's not the Corinth, it's not Paul's comment, it's the Corinthians' comment. And that affects everything else we say. You'll see as we go on. So what was happening in Corinth? Now if you remember, chapter 6 was all about the immorality that was going on. Right? Now chapter 7 seems to be the absolute reverse. Don't have anything like that. How do you marry the two chapters together? Now, is it the reaction, is chapter 7 the reaction of some against the immorality that they saw that Paul talked about in, in chapter 6? Or is it husbands in chapter 6 reacting against their wives who say, oh, oh, that's it, none of it, thank you. You've got the sort of circular argument here, this whole thing, you know. There are those that are immoral and those that are the opposite. And it's very likely, not certain, but very likely, it's the women, the wives that are saying, no. And the men who are finding it difficult and therefore getting back into Corinthian-style culture, which was very immoral. So you've got the opposite extremes there. That's probably what was happening. And we need to be very careful with this passage as well. Why? Well, for instance, in verse 10, Paul says, I'm not saying this, the Lord is saying it. And in verse 12, he's saying, I'm saying it, not the Lord. Now, this is all scripture, all the word of God. But we have clear commands and we also have authoritative guidelines. In other words, as you look at this passage, except for what Paul says about the Lord saying, don't turn it into law. 
see we have a much gentle, gentler pull here than we do elsewhere in the letter. Right. Having said that, which may be a tad controversial, but bear with it, bear with it, what principles then can we all learn from this chapter? One, Christian marriage is between a man and a woman. Oh, that's obvious, isn't it? Do you know, I think 20 years ago, I would never have started with this point. I would never even have had to have made this point. But it's in today's society that we have to make the point. As you read through the chapter, it is absolutely clear Paul is talking about a man and a woman in marriage. Now, there are, there are Christians who say, listen to this, that of course marriage in the Bible is always between a man and a woman, but if we follow the trajectory, what a word, that is the way that the Bible is going and go beyond it, then of course God will accept same-sex marriage. Because it said, well, the abolition of slavery is not in the Bible, but that was the result. The emancipation of women is not in the Bible, but that was the result. And now, this teaching on marriage, well, the modern definition of marriage in society is okay. Beware. Because I do not believe for one moment that if we're faithful to the word of God, we can believe that. Not at all. And we are facing a problem, folks. That if we begin to say things too much about that, we would be silenced. We would be accused of being bigoted. And probably accused of a hate crime. Whoa, this is, this, is, this is difficult stuff, isn't it, in today's society. Now, having said that, I believe on a Sunday morning, as the people of God, we should welcome anyone who walks in. I've said this before, let me say it again. If, a, if whatever race age, colour, creed, situation, orientation, whatever, everyone is welcome. Including, yes, a same-sex couple. You're welcome. You're welcome here. Now, listen, that's not the same as saying you become part of the church. That's not the same as saying that Jesus accepts that. No questions. But you're welcome here. You're welcome. You, whoever you are, are made in the image of God. We have no right to reject anyone. But of course we all come here, all of us, in need of change. All of us are sinners. 
All of us put Jesus on the cross. All of us need to be born again, if you like, adopted into the new family of God. And all of us need to change. It's the challenge of grace, isn't it? It's the challenge of grace. Grace doesn't say, oh, it doesn't matter. Grace says, God loves you so much that it does matter. Whoever you are, whether you're straight, gay, absolutely the pillar of society, or a dropout, God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die for you and to bring you life. And Christian marriage, this this passage teaches that Christian marriage is a partnership. Look at this. Verse 2, man-woman. Verse 3, husband-wife. Verse 4, wife-husband. Verse 8, unmarried widow-widow. Verse 10, wife and 11, wife-husband. Verse 12, 13, brother-woman. Verse 16, wife-husband. You see the seesaw that's going on? Man, woman, woman, man, husband, wife, wife, husband. Do you know, that was revolutionary that Paul could write like that. Absolutely revolutionary. Now, obviously in Jewish society, women were were, uh, less than men. In the Roman society in which Paul was writing, some women, because they were wealthy, carried clout, but most didn't. And to write like that, where he would address the wife first, rather than the husband, was revolutionary. So what was Paul doing? He was doing this. He was actually raising the status of women in the way he wrote and saying, you are of equal importance in all of this. Now, that's not often what's said about Paul. You know, there are people who don't, who don't, who say, oh, you know, criticize Paul in the New Testament. Didn't he squash women? No, he didn't. He actually was taking his cue here from Jesus. Jesus, who welcomed into his group that followed him all the way, women who looked after the needs of Jesus and his disciples. Jesus, who who was uh, so mindful and careful of the needs of the women that followed him and his friends. Jesus, who was seen, first of all, alive by a woman. And Paul is saying, you're equal here. That's interesting, just the way it's written doesn't affect the man's role as a head. I believe in that. Even in a couple, responsibility's got to rest somewhere. And fellas, that's with us. And sometimes I wish it wasn't. Don't you? I do. <laughs> you know? Who takes responsibility ultimately for what happens in the family? We do, mate. God's, yeah, yeah, ladies, you can laugh. <laughs> You've got responsibility too, but we do. Oh, I've got to submit, they say. Yeah, but can you, you look, fellas, we've got to love our wives 
like Jesus loves the church. Flip. Whoa. That's a bit of a tall order, isn't it? We have. Because it reflects the relationship between Jesus and the church. Isn't that amazing? And that our marriage is together, even in this little group of people, when we put it all together, we get a reflection of, when, of Jesus' love for the church and the church's love for Jesus. And if we're single, we're part of that. I'm part of the church. I love Jesus. He loves us. We're all part of that divine marriage. And you think about our relationship with Jesus. Yes, we submit. But in submission, there is perfect freedom. Yes? There's perfect freedom. We delight. We delight in it. And that's how marriage should be. Not one dominating another, but a partnership where there is responsibility, where there is difference, but a partnership. Just as we are brothers and sisters of Jesus, as well as part of his husband, his wife, sorry, and he, our, our husband. Wow. But then Christian marriage does mean mutual care and commitment. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. Paul is picking on one aspect of marriage here and he's saying don't make a unilateral decision that affects you both. And that's not the way it's done, you know. Um, we, were, we, we were laughing about uh, our marriage, that's Heather and I were laughing about it with somebody, I forget who it was actually, maybe been someone here. And um, what was the first thing that went wrong? It was when she threw away my na nail brush without telling me. <laughs> Where's my nail brush? Well, it looked awful, I've thrown it away. But I was using it. <laughs> Silly little thing. But actually... In the big decisions, in the bigger decisions of life, we, we don't do that. We work together. And what Paul is saying here, this is an important area of life. Of course it is. Don't make a unilateral decision because it'll upset the whole apple cart because it affects us both. In what you do, express your commitment to each other. What's... what's gone out of marriage in society so much the sense of commitment it's based on romance and romance changes feelings change they do what you feel as life goes on and you get older and things become familiar and your children are there feelings change they're different, maybe. Yes, there may still be that romance at times. But you don't base your marriage on fluctuating feelings. It's on commitment, on covenant, on promise that says, I won't leave you until death separates us. 
And Paul says, well, there's a concession. Well, maybe. Leave that aside so that you can pray. What's he saying? Let your discipleship grow together as a couple. Be disciples together. And that's that's church, isn't it? We're disciples together. Because Jesus is committed to us, we're committed to Jesus, that is what it's about. We grow together. Number four. Both marriage and singleness are gifts from God. Look at this. Paul says, I wish that all of you were as I am. It's possible that Paul was widowed. But each of you has your own gift from God. One has this gift, another has that. One has this gift. In context, Paul is clearly meaning singleness or celibacy. Not quite the same thing. And another has that, well, marriage. Because that's the context. Both being single can be a gift from God and marriage is a gift from God. My goodness. Fellas, look at your wife. A gift from God. Yeah? Ladies, look at your men. (laughs) A gift from God. Oh, man, I could do with a different gift. No, you couldn't. (laughs) No, you couldn't. Because there's commitment and there's covenant and there's being disciples together. You see, celibacy is not just about being single. It's about having a particular gift. And we hit a pastoral issue here. As we know from our own daughter, singleness is not what a lot of people want. But it's what happens. But there are folks who know That is the life God has given them. There's a pastoral issue there. And it means that, notice the double meaning of this, every single person in the church must be valued and cared for. Double meaning. Every person who is single and every single person must be loved and cared for. You see, we can be that type of family for everyone. Hmm. Number five. The bereaved may remarry. To the unmarried and the widows, I say it's good for them to stay married as I do, but if they cannot control themselves, translation here, if they are not controlling themselves, we've got to think back into the Corinthian culture here. They should marry, for it is better to marry than burn with passion. Unmarried probably means widower. Probably. 
rather than just the unmarried. We're probably talking about those who have both been widowed rather than the teenager. In the context, there was, there was never a clear word for widower in, in those days. So it's probably widower and widows. Now remember, they haven't been given the gift of celibacy, have they? Well, at least unless afterwards God gave it, but at that time they hadn't. And in the culture, get back into the culture, we can't think 21st century UK here, we've got to think of 1st century Corinthian culture, it was immoral, and the pressures upon them to conform with the culture were great, and if you suddenly found yourself single again, then the pressure to get involved with that was on you. Now we might find that really hard to, to cope with, because our society is different, but we're talking about that culture and Paul is saying if you are now in the process of being immoral because that's what that really means then get married but if you can stay as you are and serve God wholly that is fine so remember chapter 6 that was about immorality if you can stay single that is superb but marrying again is fine Think back into the culture. It doesn't relate to us in that way. But what we're saying is that if, if a person is bereaved, then, yeah, to remarry is fine, obviously. Number six. And Christian marriage is for life. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord, the Lord Jesus. He talked about a divorce and adultery. And Paul is clearly thinking back to the words of Jesus here. A wife must not separate from her husband. Yeah, it was so unusual. That was pretty. In, in, in Jewish culture, that just would not have happened. You see how Paul is, is actually honouring the place of women here. He's addressing the wife first. And it wouldn't have happened that way. The man could ditch the woman, but not the other way round. But Paul is saying, no, you could do it. But if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband must not divorce his wife. So this is a command, not advice. Because Jesus said it. Now he said that if, if, you, if you are divorced and then remarry, you are committing adultery. So the ide- ideal is that we're married for life. That's the ideal. But the permissible, but not ideal, is that you can divorce, but there should be no remarriage. And reconciliation is the way forward. We know three couples who divorced, who were Christians, who divorced and then remarried. Again. Because that's really the biblical way forward. Hmm. 
Okay, number seven, nearly done. Ah, this isn't in the text, pray for your family, but these words. The unbelieving husband has been sanctified through his wife and his unbelieving wife has been sanctified through a believing husband, otherwise your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. One being a believer and one not is not a grounds for divorce. Read the whole context and you will see that. If the unbeliever, if the unbeliever ends the marriage, then here comes the question, can the believer remarry? And the whole thing turns on, it is battered, uh, is it on this, that are they, what are they bound by? What are they bound by? Is it, they're not bound by, when Paul says they're not bound by the marriage, therefore the marriage as if it didn't exist, or is it they're not bound by the fact they should save their marriage and just let the separation happen? That's a difficult question to answer. Traditionally, people have thought they're not bound by the marriage, so when the unbeliever goes, the believer can remarry. But in context, that's a bit questionable. But consider your husband or your wife and your children as set apart from God. Here's the thing. God is at work in families. Many of us have unbelieving partners, husband, wives, unbelieving children, yeah? We long that they become Christians, yeah? We'd love to see then come fully through into the, the liberating power and life and love of Jesus. Yes. Yeah. People take heart. Your unbelieving husband, wife, is somehow sanctified by the fact that you're a believer. Your children are somehow set apart because you're a believer. It doesn't guarantee they will become Christians. But look into the Bible. God saves by families, often. Believe it. Trust it. Pray about it. We are. I'm sure you are. You've got unbelieving children. You pray about it. You've got, got unbelieving grandchildren. Pray about it. Pray them into the kingdom. Don't let go. Keep going. Because God delights to save by families. He really does. That doesn't guarantee it from this side of eternity. Of course not. There's nothing automatic there. But let's believe. Lord, you've saved me, you've saved us, you're going to save our children. Let's believe it and go for it. And those that once believed, once displayed life joy in, in Jesus, who were perhaps active and alive for him, and now they're nowhere, come on, let's pray back the prodigals as well. They're our family. They're part of God's family. They're part of the natural family. Let's believe it and pray it in.
Oh, you know, we have a mission field without even moving anywhere. And I don't even mean your neighbour. It's right there in our families. And you say, it's hard to talk. Yes, it is hard to talk to those closest to you. It's ever so hard, isn't it? But I tell you what you can do. You can pray. Yes, you can. We do, and I know most of you do. Pray about it. Pray, pray them in. Right. So what have we got here? We must make a stand for Christian marriages. Not because we tell society what to do. Actually, they can do what they like. They're answerable to God, not to us. But we can show them what marriage is really about. In society. As Christians, our marriages should be a witness to God's transforming love and grace and power. And there for life. Some are called to live the single life, while for others, one perhaps would say very many more, marriage is God's way. Both are gifts. Let's honour that. Both married and single folks are of equal value in the church. You know, as leaders, let alone the rest of us, we need to watch ourselves, watch our language, when we talk family a lot. There are single folks who don't enjoy all of that. We are a family. That's why I would prefer just a silly thing, all age service rather than family service. I know it's our family together, but I've known people say, but I haven't got a family. I feel excluded. And you think you don't have to. Let's be sensitive pastorally on that. Remarriage is an option for those who've been bereaved. Of course it is. Thank God for that. Pray for your family. God's in the habit of saving families. Now, point number seven. I've not made this point until now. Failure in marriage is not the unforgivable sin. The last thing I would want to do this morning is to paint the picture that if your marriage has failed, you've got divorced, and if you've even got remarried, that that's it. God doesn't want to know. Of course he does. It's not the unforgivable sin. I'm not saying that this then gives us license. Of course I'm not. But God is a God of restoration. God is a God who can take broken lives, broken hearts, broken marriages, broken families, and restore. He heals the brokenhearted. He binds up the wounds. He sets the prisoner free. And he can do that. He can do that for you. Because in a different way, he's done it for me. 
I'm not speaking about things I don't know about. I'm saying, God, what you've done for me, you can do for others. And you think I'm an absolute abysmal failure here? God is a God who loves failures. People who've failed. And at the point of greatest failure, Jesus won the greatest victory. And at the point of greatest failure in your life, as in mine, Jesus can win a grace-filled, healing, whole-making victory. He's, he can do it, you know. He can do it. And he will. Let's just wait in silence a bit, shall we? Just as we wait on God, let's just uh, bring our own personal situation to him. You think some of this doesn't really apply to me in, in the practical sense. Maybe it doesn't. But all of us have things in our lives that God needs to sort out. We're all a work in progress. We've all got learner plates on, as it were. We're all disciples learning and God I pray that you will come to us now and that you will deal gently with us we open up our lives to you Lord and pray that you will deal with the brokenness that's in our lives and in our families and Lord, we, we pray for those of our natural human families who do not know you, that Lord, you will be at work by your spirit and that we will see family members, partners, children, parents, grandchildren come to know and love you. And Lord, for those who once knew you and have fallen away for whatever, in Jesus' name, Lord, please restore them. We yearn for them, Lord. We do. Our hearts ache for them. And we say, oh God, please, 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 do a work in our families, whether we're married, widowed, widowed, single, whatever. Please do a work in our families for your honour and for your glory. <laughs>